Hello, guys. This is Angela Sung, and you are listening to another episode of the Warrior Painters Podcast. Like many of us here in the United States, our minds have been occupied by a series of ongoing events. We believe that it's extremely necessary to show support against racism and injustice, and at the same time, it's also very important to find ways to take care of our physical health and mental health during this tough time. Today, we invited two artists to share their personal stories and how they made peace with their depression. We also have invited a doctor who is a friend of ours to talk about his experience treating patients with depression and other mental illnesses. Please know that we are not here to offer any medical suggestions and you should always seek professional help on your own if needed. No doctor patient relationship of any kind is formed if you choose to listen to this podcast. All right, to start off, we'll have the guests introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Catherine Lamb. I'm an illustrator. I'm based in New York. I mostly do editorial, though I do want to go into like animation and stuff. The topic today is about mental health. I haven't truly been diagnosed because I don't really have the funds to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist. But I mean, I feel like I kind of know my own truth, which is that I am very depressed, as you can probably see through my art. <laughs> yeah, especially with like what's going on this week, I think you know, mental health is a really big issue that we really need to address. Oh, hi, I'm Larry. You guys have heard me before. I do art from all over the place. Mainly, I draw a lot of monsters on, online, but uh, they kind of help me deal with some of the stuff. Um, I'm on here today because I've dealt with depression. Hi, uh, Brent DeVera. I am a primary care physician, board certified in family medicine, uh, based in Las Vegas, Nevada. And that's about it. Okay, cool. Well, before we begin our really, really serious topic, can you guys tell me a little bit about what you wanted to be as a kid and how that like kind of changed as you grew up? Um, Larry, we could skip you this time because I know you wanted to be a shark. But <laughs> <laughs> let's focus on Catherine and Brent. <laughs> um, well, when I was young, I kind of wanted to be a vet because I could just like pet dogs. <laughs> but um, I realized that um, more goes into it than that. So <laughs> I kind of gave up on that dream. I kind of wanted to do art around like middle school because I was like a huge weeb. <laughs> I like really wanted to like, you know, get into like art and stuff. And yeah, here I am now, so. So that's really funny. <laughs> Cool. Um, how about you, Brent? Did you always want to be a doctor? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of interests when I was a kid. Uh, I knew right away that I couldn't be a basketball player because <laughs> I'm short. Yeah, five seven. That's just not. It's not going to cut it. But uh, I actually did. I, I was really interested in in uh, in drawing uh, when I was a teenager had like a whole binder full of drawings and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I was very much a realist and I really didn't feel like that could earn me a lot of money with the amount of talent that I had. So my mom told me to be a doctor, so I did. Well, well you're a really good doctor, so <laughs> good <Thank> choice. <laughs> okay, well, let's maybe start off with some personal stories of how you guys um, felt depression and how you kind of deal with it and some of your personal life details. Um, I could start off with myself. Basically, um, I have been diagnosed with um, depression. I forgot, I don't know what it's called, but it's not like the constant type. And then I definitely have really bad anxiety. I have been seeing a therapist to try to work on it, but it's really difficult sometimes for me to draw and paint without feeling like constant shit. And I don't know if any of you guys could relate to that. Yeah, I totally relate. 
when like it's been so incredibly hard to just focus and work on art you know like when I first I first felt like depressed I guess when I was like 14 in high school and like living was just really hard but I found a lot of comfort in drawing but when I decided to make drawing and art like my career decision it just that kind of like crumbled afterwards it became like as the source of my stress trying to work, trying to make art, trying to make new ideas became so difficult. Like I would just sit in front of my computer and just stare at it for like six hours, six to eight hours a day, just like trying to force myself to work. I was like paralyzed, being like unable to like do anything at all. If that makes any sense. I don't know if you like. Yeah, I I think I definitely have. Have you, Larry? Because I I do feel like once art becomes a job, it feels extremely different than like it being for fun, like. Yeah, I definitely relate with that. Um, I think when you're drained from your creativity, it just kind of, just takes away from, sometimes from the desire to be creative just for creative sake and you get exhausted. Um, uh, But as for me, the story behind how I recognize my depression, actually Brent was actually there. Uh, There was a few months where I was just feeling really, really down, like not necessarily sad, but just like, just lethargic and kind of lost. Brent and his wife uh, invited me up to Vegas to just come over and just stay at their place for a while. And I, I was talking to Brent uh, on a drive one day, just asking about like his wife, because she's confessed to me that she's been through depression. So I asked him, you know, like, like how do you, how did she deal with it? You know, what, what did she go through? Just asking him questions, being inquisitive. And what I didn't realize at the time was like, he started asking me all these questions about myself. It's like, uh, oh, uh, have you been really tired lately? have you lost interest in the things that you've done, you know? And he just went through this laundry list of things, questions that I realized later on, they actually asked you at the doctor's office, but he was just asking me as a friend. I didn't realize it. And then we just kind of driving. He's like, Oh yeah, it sounds like you're depressed. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then like, I would just sit there and then we kind of like, uh, I just kind of thought about it, but then like we talked about ways to kind of overcome it. But at the time there was a big fear where you realize that you're depressed, but then like, it's something that, a person of my personality type would never think that I would ever have. I was known around as a guy, the positive guy, the go-getter, the guy who feels like, okay, well, you just got to dig yourself out of that hole, you know? You can do it, you know? Having, like, a professional actually tell me that I, I possibly had it, and eventually I found out later on that I did have it, was was a game-changer for me. I realized I was so close-minded at a certain point. Just being positive doesn't mean you're right, I, I think this is like a good segue into our next question. And for you guys, um, so Catherine, I know you said you didn't have um, the funds to see a therapist or anything. And um, for Larry, you were diagnosed by Brent. But Catherine, how did you start to begin to recognize that you have depression? I kind of go through periods of depression, like bouts of depression, I guess is what you call it, where I have a couple of years where I'm really depressed. And usually it's because I'm in like a situation that I'm not happy in and usually like the most telling signs obviously that I get like a lot of suicidal thoughts and another is that I completely don't really see a point in like life anymore like everything becomes so tedious and so draining like it just sucks the life and enjoyment out of everything I talked about like how art used to be something that I love so much but after being really depressed for so long it just completely sucked all enjoyment out of it it just became a job And I feel like with art, it's definitely something that I especially went into to have fun with. 
but after seeing that it became just another thing that had to do just to get money just to get by it became such a like a chore to do and I guess that's another thing that makes me realize that I am depressed is when I can't find meaning in anything anymore even the things that I found significant once in my life it's just like I could quit tomorrow and then just wouldn't affect me emotionally yeah so I'm, I'm relating to this so hard right now <laughs> um so so Brent like do you have anything to add onto that or um things that people should watch out for if they start having these thoughts yeah so from a, a clinical and, and academic perspective there is a kind of a laundry list like uh, Larry mentioned of things to look out for now I think it is important to go through the, that list before I go through that though I just want to uh, make sure that everyone understands that everyone is different. Uh, you know, your depression is not the same as someone else's depression. So this is just kind of a guide. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to check off lists. We're trying to take a look at the whole picture, but this kind of helps us out. So uh, the main symptom to look out for is that depressed mood. So that's kind of the stereotypical depression is when you're just feeling sad overall. Now, what I've noticed um, in practice is that many times, actually often times, that's uh, that's not present or people don't uh, recognize that sad mood and it may be because of a cultural thing because I work with a lot of Hispanics a lot of the Hispanics from Mexico have been through so many hard times that they don't really recognize depression as a as a valid thing like it doesn't exist so I we should pay attention to the other things uh, that I'm going to list off here so uh, one of the other things is is a, a symptom called anhedonia uh, which basically means that the things that you found pleasure in in the past are not giving you pleasure anymore. And uh, you're having a hard time finding uh, happiness uh, in the usual spots. So that's one. Uh, so your sleeping pattern can change. You can go either way. Either you're not able to get sleep or you're sleeping too much. So it can go either way. Uh, also, your appetite can change. That can also go either way. Uh, you can have so little interest in eating that you're not eating at all, or you turn to food as an escape, so you end up eating a lot more than usual. Um, as Larry mentioned, uh, you can have low energy, and uh, we don't really know how to explain that physiologically, but that's a pretty common sign of depression or anxiety. Also, having difficulty uh, thinking, concentrating, problem solving, uh, you, you're, you're just kind of, your mind is kind of in a cloud when it comes to logical thinking like that. Uh, feelings of guilt, and a lot of times it has to do with uh, things that happened to you in the past, traumatic experiences. There are so many people out there who have had traumatic childhoods. Uh, molestation is a huge thing, and uh, nobody talks about it, but uh, I face it all the time with my patients. And those, those things can contribute to these feelings of guilt, to feelings that um, you're worthless, things like that. And also when it gets uh, really bad, you start to have uh, thoughts about harming yourself, whether it be for attention or for actually ending your life. That's when we really need to step in and, and get uh, and change things. Okay, thanks for that list. So I, I do have some like two questions that I would like to um, ask to add on to those. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned trauma and how they could change your perception of how people interpret depression. Then how would you be able to diagnose that if you don't even know? Like, 
what you were saying earlier. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, it, everyone is different. Uh, really, uh, with my job, I really have to work with different personalities, and some people respond to to actual paper evaluations. So I, I tend to use that a lot. There's a screening tool called PHQ-9. You can Google that. Uh, it's a screening tool. It kind of gives a number to those symptoms that I listed. And, you know, based on the number, the higher the number, the more likely you are uh, to have uh, depression or anxiety. Oh, there's actually a separate one for anxiety called GAD-7. Uh, so a lot of pe people look at that number, I present that number to them and they say, oh, okay, maybe I do. And for people who don't uh, accept that number, uh, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of just kind of talking about it and, uh, you know, following up and, you know, kind of letting them see if I, so I ask questions like, well, uh, have your, have your family members or friends, have they mentioned anything or, has your boss or is it affecting your work in any in, in any way so once they start thinking about that and maybe comparing how they were 10 years ago to how they are now kind of gives them that oh wait maybe things have changed okay cool thanks and i'll save my second question for later but i wanted to ask you to um catherine and larry what what do you feel like are some of the reasons that artists fall into depression questioning myself worth as an artist constantly wondering if I'm good enough for this industry usually send me personally triggering into a spiraling down of depression. Uh, the, the common thought that I always have, and uh, I feel like a lot of people relate with this, is like if you're out of work for a while or you're not getting the jobs you want or your career isn't the way it goes, you have a bleak outlook of the future, right? And so like, like all these things are intertwined. Uh, like I feel like I have to have a really good career in order to have some sort of relationship because a lot of people, when they go dating, their main thing they're looking for is, oh, I want to be with a partner who is stable. So when you don't have that, you think, okay, well, you, you can feel kind of feel alone and feel kind of worthless in that aspect where, okay, nobody wants to date me because like I'm like a, like a underemployed artist or whatever, right? And sometimes even under, unemployed, you're constantly comparing yourself to others where you're seeing other artists, your peers get better. And you know in your mind that in order for you to achieve some of the goals that you, you find you're more successful for it to have, you got to work hard for that. But then your desire to work is just not there. So you know that, okay, I got to work this hard to get there. But like, I would, there'll be a constantly times where I'm picking up my pen and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And maybe like one or two minutes in, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take a nap first. <laughs> I rush to my bed, I take a nap. And I'm like, why am I constantly doing this? I don't understand. I know I got to do these things. It's like, I hate myself. You know, this, these are the people I used to criticize for being lazy. And I didn't realize that it was, it's, there's certain things that are just out of your control that the motivation, that drive is completely gone. It's like uh, building, uh, it's just like thing after thing that builds on top of each other that just sends you, or at least myself, spiraling down where I just, you, you feel kind of hopeless as an artist and you're like the thoughts I constantly thought to myself was, well, it's too late. Um, I, I, I can't, I cannot beat this. So what's the point of living? Like I never thought about like killing myself with the, the constant thought that always ran through my head when I was severely depressed. Like I wish an asteroid would come and destroy the world. <laughs> and like, I just want to take us out with you. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's what we all suffer together. And we, we realize it happened. I'm not trying to justify it, but these are the thoughts that I had. Um, but it's kind of cool too because we're like dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> That's just cool. <laughs> How about you, Kat? 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. I feel like making art and being an artist and um, sort of like a point of pride for everybody. And it's almost like a way people like use to identify themselves. Like a lot of people identify as, oh, I'm an artist, you know? So when you kind of like attach value into something external that isn't about yourself and you start to see like your art career, for example, like kind of not go exceed the expectations that you want. That when that's like kind of it hits your own self-esteem, your own confidence. And like if you only attribute your value to something like your job, if your job's not working well, then you're gonna totally think that you're completely worthless, that like something's wrong with you, that you're not like a good artist, you're not a good person, you're just like, you know, it's like what's the point? Why do I suck so much? I guess. I mean, I had this severely because like in college the way the program, at least in my college, was set up was very competitive and they kind of like pit you against your peers. And, you know, like there is like favoritism among the teachers where like they obviously would favor the kids who draw better. Then they kind of like almost rank you by like how important you are based on how good your art is. So when I got, when I graduated and got into the, like started working for editorials and stuff, like obviously when it comes to freelancing, work comes a little slow when you're first starting off that like just beat my confidence down I was basically like I thought I was like not bad so why am I not getting any work you know because I attribute all this like all my value all my self-esteem all my confidence to my job and like once my job wasn't working it was just like I just like fell down like a deep like rabbit hole Mm -hmm. it was like my work isn't going well I'm not going to get hired I'm such a failure. I'll never get, I'll never have money in my life. Oh, my mom was right. (laughs) And it's like tunnel, 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 tunnel. So yeah, I feel like that's kind of just like the starting point for most artists is like a little downfall. (laughs) It's shocking because both of you guys are really great. So, I mean, I feel like most artists do have to go through this, but it's really painful. How do you guys then like cope with your depression as an artist like in terms of like unemployment relationship problems when you feel like you plateaued or like the cycles of depression as well I feel like at a certain point when it comes to like unemployment or like relationship problems like all of those things can only be fixed if you fix the main issue at hand with obviously with unemployment I just had to like do more work and sit more email more people and with relationship problems that either had to like talk it out or just like break up with them but I feel like a lot of the reasons why I found myself unemployed I found myself in a bad relationship why I found myself plateauing was because I wasn't treating the real issue you know a lot of things like I was like exercising crazy um eating really healthy because I read online that it would help and it does it does for sure but it definitely it felt like I was just stalling it felt like I was just like putting off for another day like, I'll deal with it later. You know, it wasn't until, like, uh, like I don't know if any of you know, like, my Twitter and, like, what I talk about, but I did, wasn't, I was invited to do, like, this ketamine therapy session, and that was, like, the only thing that actually helped me get over everything and just finally push past all the blockage and just move on with my life, I guess. So, Is like, it those pieces, like, the um, light tower pieces? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that so, one was really cool. Yeah. I guess my point is, there's like a lot of short-term coping things like exercising, hang out with friends. But I feel like in the end, every time 
I finished those like sessions and I came back, I just went right back to feeling like feeling like shit. <laughs> the best way, I guess, is to obviously get help. Wait, um, Brent, could you do you know about the ketamine therapy or mm -hmm. oh, could you both kind of like explain it to us? So uh, the the way that we think it works is that it's kind of a reset button. There has been uh, therapies similar to that in the past. There is a therapy that uh, uses electricity as kind of a, a reset button that's been going on. It's just hard to get insurance to cover that kind of therapy. It's expensive. Insurance doesn't cover ketamine therapy either that I know of. But uh, it's kind of a chemical version of the electricity. Just kind of a, uh, it gives your brain that surge. It changes the uh, the ratios of neurotransmitters in the brain to kind of reset it. Yeah, it definitely felt like that. <laughs> are, are there side effects to it? Oh, there's side effects to everything. Yeah. And it's, it's a long, long list of side effects. But uh, the thing with side effects is that um, the, they're required to list side effects if it happens to even to even just 0.1% of the test population. So these the side effects are pretty rare. Um, and most of the time, uh, because the side effects are so unlikely and most of them are benign or not really harmful, the benefit of uh, getting the medication is it outweighs the risks. Okay. How about you, Larry? Um, how do you usually cope with this stuff? Well, after Brent told me about it, I think I waited about a good two or three years being depressed until I actually did anything about it. I think at the time I was, I avoided seeing the doctor to talk about depression because my personal family doctor actually knew my family and they're a bunch of gossipy goose. <laughs> so I, I didn't want them to be like, oh, I heard Larry's depressed. Also at the time, I didn't really have insurance. And that's the big thing, you know, like a lot of us don't have insurance or we, we can't afford the, the treatment. So I avoided it for a long time. But uh, after a certain point, I said, like, if I don't do anything about this, I'm something bad's gonna happen. So I, I got it, I went to a doctor, I got a new a doctor, I got treated, I got diagnosed got some medication. Unfortunately for me, I think I got a medication that did not work for me personally. Uh, it made me even more tired and uh, I just lost complete motivation to do a lot of things. I'm a worse impression, but I just, I was like stagnant. And then um, uh, there's a certain point where I, I got off the medication because I realized I couldn't afford the medication anymore. And that presented itself like a completely different set of problems where I was overly confident and I was, I felt so good. I felt so good. The complete opposite. Like, oh, wow, I'm out of my depression. This is great, right? But if anything, it just made me into a more angry and uh, antagonistic person where I was picking fights with everybody. And that's why I finally understood the term of being off your meds meant I felt so good. But then I realized that good feeling was a false sense of good feeling where I realized, okay, there, there are things that are beyond my control. I don't know what to do about it. And thankfully, you know, at the time you unknowingly reached out to me to, to come go out and go paint with the warrior painters. And I didn't think about it at the time. You, Angela, pestering every day to every weekend to come out to go paint. And I was like, oh, fuck. Style. I know. <laughs> and I, I went out and I paint. The, the funny thing is like a lot of times when you're depressed, you hold you tend to hold yourself up in your room or your house and never go out. And then like that reinforced, at least to me, it reinforced the depression where like you don't you're not solving anything. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody recognized anything that I went through because uh, up to this point, I was recognized as the really fun guy, right? I, there's one year I went to 10 weddings and to some people's weddings that I didn't know. Oh, I'm because, sure I just hearing that. <laughs> yeah, because they thought I was the guy who's going to start the party. 
And well, uh, well you, you do do that. So I know I mean, you can't blame them. <laughs> no, but I started dipping out of weddings where I'm like, why do they invite me to this wedding? I don't, I don't even know you. I don't want to go to this wedding. And then like, I ran away. And that's like, that's when I recognized I had anxiety too, where like, I was like, holy crap, I don't know how to deal with this. Anyway, going back on topic, going out, but for the right reasons where it's like more helpful for myself in more relaxed state and forcing myself to, to talk to people about it. Right. I think, uh, especially being an Asian American, like there's a sense of shame to acknowledge that you're depressed. Like, yeah. like, yeah, because it's definitely a sign of weakness. I, I even, I talked to my mom. She's like, don't be depressed. You've got to be a strong man. You've got to be strong, son. Nobody likes to hear that, uh, that you're sad. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, she told me that for years. And like, you're impressionable when you're, you're hearing these rules. Like if I tell people I'm depressed, you know, they're going to be like, Ugh, you know? So I guess I have this, this role that I had to fill where I'm fun, Larry. And it exhausted me because that was a false front for me at the time where that really wasn't me. So when I went out and I was able, you were you introduced me to a bunch of new people and that were non-judgmental and it was just there for the focus of painting, being distracted by something but in a positive way, it got me going in terms of my art. Like I started painting again. I hadn't painted in years at that point. I got to talk to people. It was really nice. Maybe in combination with me getting off the meds right at that point, I was very open with my depression to people. And in being really open with it, I was shocked to find out a lot of people who I didn't suspect went through the same things that I did. And it was so, so cathartic. And it, 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 I, was, I was like, oh my God. And it's like, I didn't know you felt about this, Larry. I went through the same thing too. When you have depression, you start empathizing and you realize, I don't want anybody to, to go through this thing that I did. I realized that I shouldn't underestimate people's uh, abilities to be compassionate. I think that's the fear especially if you had one or two people telling me like, oh, that person's depressed. Oh, there's such a drag to be around. Don't let those people affect you. You got to realize there's a lot more people can relate with you than those who will like kind of put you down or shame you for being depressed. Yeah. So, okay. How do you guys deal with it? Like, do you guys draw sometimes to feel better too? And um, also how do you guys talk to people? Do you guys feel like it's easier to talk to artists so they could relate to you guys more? The first question, how do I deal with it? Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, like, do you sometimes use art to help yourself feel better about it as well, or does it not help at all? Um, I find, well, actually, art does kind of help me. If I do art that's purely for myself, not for anything else, I do find that it helps me. It, like, brings me back to, like, the original reason why I liked it in the first place. So just doing things purely for myself. So, like, not drawing something to like post on Instagram later to make sure I get likes and make sure people remember me, you know, and not doing, just like turning off the computer, going somewhere and just doodling, just like drawing whatever comes to my mind. Yeah, that really helps. I'm sorry, what was the second question? Oh, so like, do you guys feel like talking to um, artists is better for support group or do you feel like talking to your family and friends is either? Cause like, I guess, um, Larry did mention as an Asian American, sometimes it's really difficult to talk to your family about this. So do you have that similar experience? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, no, Asian, I feel like the older generation of Asians definitely have like a huge stigma against mental illness. Like it doesn't matter what mental illness you have. They kind of treat it as if it was just one ugly monster. So you could just say that you're anxious, you have anxiety. Um, they'll treat you as if you have like, like really aggressive, violent schizophrenia, 
but it's like these are completely not that that's a bad thing schizophrenia but it's just like these are completely different things and they all kind of group it into one thing because of like they don't know or they're not truly aware of what these things really are and how different they are I think opening up to my mom about well I didn't really open up because my counselor at the time kind of broke confidentiality and just told her but I remember having to tell her like that I was depressed I was anxious and she was like you don't you just have allergies and I was like what does that even mean (laughs) oh my god okay I'm sorry (laughs) yeah so I um yeah I find that talking to family doesn't help because I feel like if especially if they're like the type of people who like don't try to listen and think that like oh you're a child you wouldn't understand or like oh you're you just wouldn't understand like they're never gonna listen so I never really found solace or like comfort in talking to my family but like because I grew up unable to like open up about a lot of things I also find it hard to talk about my feelings with other people so I feel like the only outlet for me is actually through art which is kind of like a double whammy because it's like it, it comforts me, but at the same time, it stresses me out. <laughs> so it's like, um, but I do find it very helpful and comforting because, you know, art in its essence is a way of communication. You mm-hmm. know, like you, people draw art not just to make things pretty. Some people want to say something with it, which is what I do in my art. I like express a lot of what I'm feeling through what I draw. And a lot of people actually catch up on it, you know, which is actually really amazing. But a lot of people respond to it and they can actually come to me and we can almost have like a empathy and understanding without even really talking. Mm-hmm. And I find that like easiest way for me to like let out my emotions and let it be known to other people. Yeah. For myself, um, in terms of uh, being around artists, it's it's like, a, I think you should be around artists, but you should be around the right kind of artists. And by that, what I mean is that you want to be around people who are, are positive influences. I find that uh, being around really toxic influences can have a real effect on you. I think uh, our, we have a tendency or we've, we've known people who have uh, been around people who are really judgmental about a person based on their artwork and are openly critical, uh, sometimes without context, right? Maybe as an up-and-coming artist or artists who are not even to the skill level that's being criticized, you self, feel self-conscious that you're, about your work because it's like, that person, if you just said their art was shit, I'm not even that good. And it's like, oh, like, shit, I feel bad, you know? And then, like, and then so you start having this self-doubt. That's why, for me, as a personal philosophy, I will never talk bad about anybody's art because I I recognize people are at different levels of anything. I try to be encouraging. There's constructive criticism, but you want to surround yourself by artists who have a a more um, positive mentality, seeing that there's room for improvement. I mean, that's why, Angela, you were encouraging me so much, even though I... I, I, I was so just much being of, a tiger mom. I wasn't encouraging you. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you encouraged me, even though, like, I said, like, I'm never going to never work again or, like, what's the point? But then, like, I think you need that push by, by people that, that kind of care for you. So I would say that the toxic people, they gain, like, self-confidence by putting other people down. That's it's, so it's, true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very contagious. If you, you're around somebody like that, someone is going to think, okay, well, this is how artists are supposed to treat each other. It's just like what Catherine said earlier, how in her college, like art center is very much like that, where I feel like they train you to be competitive rather than supportive. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one reason why I had such a difficult time liking art center. And 
I think I needed a long time to get rid of that mentality to be healthier mentally. It was a struggle for me. And I think what you say is right. It's a really good advice. But um, so Brent, can I ask you a question about like- No. Okay. <laughs> so you do have a lot of artist friends that you care about and that you help with depression, right? How do you mm -hmm. usually go about helping them? Recognition of the problem is the first step. It's an essential step. You know, we could throw all the treatments uh, at you, millions of dollars, uh, if you don't recognize that there's a problem. There's really no benefit for you. Um, helping the people around me, I mean, as a physician, that kind of comes with my job. Like as a, outside the, the clinic, it's about listening and being receptive and not being, and not being judgy. Too often I hear people tell me, oh yeah, you know, I tried to talk to my friend or my, uh, my mom or family member about this. And they said, what are you so depressed about? Your life is good. There's absolutely nothing to, to be sad about. And that's the exact wrong thing to say. Uh, because uh, depression doesn't care how much money you have. Depression doesn't care how many awards you've won or what your job is. It's going to hit you in any phase of your life. And uh, just to just be understanding and, and uh, you know, to be receptive to that is, is uh, really essential. Hmm. I have a feeling that like every time I hit my goal, I feel happy for like two months. But then afterwards, I go back to feeling like shit again. I don't know if you guys feel that. Like, Catherine, I know you worked with like New York Times and a lot of really big name um, editorial places. But like, do you feel like every time you get it, you're so happy, but afterwards it just goes back to being sad? Like, yeah. why do you think we we feel like that? <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself here, but I feel like my parents kind of always push me to strive for more but their method of doing so wasn't the most healthy, I don't think. Like they were always like, oh, I would come home with like, let's say an A minus on a test. And they're like, why did you get an A plus? <laughs> you know, it was like classic Asian traits mean stuff. But I mean, I feel like that inadvertently kind of, you kind of like internalize it and you, you inadvertently say that to yourself later on. You know, you take what your parents told you and you kind of like treat yourself the same way. So like every time I like get an award or I have to like pass a career milestone, I think great, but I'm like, but this isn't enough. I need to do more. Like, what is this? You know, this, and I always compare myself to other people who have it, who like are even better than me or something. And I just always feel inadequate, I guess, because I feel like the inadequacy was already planted when I was young. Those thoughts are kind of hard to like overcome. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, especially if you're depressed, it also adds to the like, oh, everything's meaningless. So it's like after I get an award, after I reach a career milestone, you just realize, well, what was the point of that? There was like no fireworks, no nothing. I, like nothing was added to my life in terms of like happiness. Mm -hmm. It was just like another pointless thing I can put on my resume, yeah. which is sad to think about, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I can so relate right now. <laughs> how, how about you, Larry? Do you have that feeling? I don't know, like um, the, the, the small like dopamine hits of validation you get when you get these small compliments, uh, they're great. The cycle, it, for me at least, it goes up and down, right? And I think a lot of people, at least myself, at times uh, you, you want to seek that validation through social media, through these likes. Um, and like, you know, like as much as you want to deny all oh, these points, these, these things are meaningless. You, you get that small dopamine hit when somebody likes her and you, or you get a lot. It just feels good. You're like, oh, give it to me, give it to me, you know? Once that kind of goes away, you kind of feel like shit. 
and you have to recognize that doesn't tie into your self-worth, you know, especially when you're presenting something that you might have poured your heart into and then nobody responds. I have to learn to separate that as a separate entity and not intertwine with my self-worth because a lot of these people who like myself, that's cool, you know, I appreciate that, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make me a better artist. It might inspire me, but um, like I realize a lot of the times it's just self-motivation and wanting to, like Catherine said, you know, doing things that are more so for yourself. And I find that if I'm doing things to please people, it's, it gets exhausting. It becomes, it becomes work in a way. So, versus, so, okay, wait, then how do you guys, how are you guys able to separate yourself from your art? Because like you guys said, we're not just, I think Michelle mentioned this in the previous episode, how we're not just the art we make. Do you guys have like any tips on how you guys could like separate the two? Because it's so hard, right? We're so intertwined with our art. It's really difficult to not judge our self-worth based off of our like artistic value. Um, for me, I just, because it's something I create, I just, very, I just compare it to like, let's say my cooking. You know, if my cooking turns out bad, I'm not going to beat myself up for it. Or it's like, if I, I don't know, if I decide one day, I decided to like, fashion design and it looks like crap it's like I'm not gonna be like oh that's it for me I need to like kind of see it for what it is it's just something I make it's just a hobby it's just like an action just like how cooking is just like how biking and running is it's just something that you do it doesn't define you it's just an action that you do that is separate from yourself that's how I have to remind myself yeah that's a good way to put it (laughs) yeah uh for me sometimes I purposely uh, leave my phone in the other room. For me, you know, sometimes when you're just putting aside that noise and just doing things for yourself and not being distracted, it's like you're just focusing yourself and not caring about what other people think or mm-hmm. how people are responding because that dictates what your content will be. So like I I do sometimes do social media cleanses where I like purposely deactivate my Facebook. I give my password to somebody else, not being distracted by social media, but actually having outlets like this where we're, we're kind of talking with other people, having actual real conversations that that go back and forth in, in real time, that distracts me, that allows me to be myself a little bit more and produce more genuine artwork. And so, and it, so it seems like both you and Catherine are basically saying the same thing for when you guys are doing art, it should just be for yourself. And then um, I guess just view it as something that's pleasurable rather than something that's just you. Is, is that what you both are kind of saying right now? Yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. For yourself, for your own mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you guys give yourself that constant motivation to get better? Because I feel like art is a constant torture for yourself because you go through that cycle and spiral of feeling really shitty, feeling really good, and then it just keeps like turning like that. How do you guys deal with that? For me, I just have to, I need to like write down this goal that I have for myself. And I just need to constantly remind myself of that goal. And that goal for me is that I want to find fulfillment in my career like my own personal fulfillment, not just like money or rewards. I just want to like feel like I contributed something to like society, I guess. And I just need to constantly remind myself of that for me to, to get my motivation back up. Yeah. In the end, I have to remind myself that this is for me. I'm not doing this for anybody else. And I'm only doing this for myself and like my own goals and desires. How about you, Larry? I'm, I'm very lucky, fortunate that at this point, you know, my friends who know that I have depression reach out to me. Kind of nice to know that somebody has your back. My outlet, being a natural extrovert, is just talking to people. And I think uh, if the more I, I let things out, the more I'm able to convey things that, that I bottle up, I think the more it, it pushes me away from falling into that depression. Cool. 
All right, so Brent, then I wanted to spend the last four minutes with you asking you if you have any recommendations for artists who don't have funds to seek a therapist, what would be some advice that you'd give them? Uh, there are some, a few things that you can do that uh, doesn't cost any money. Um, so we, we know that regular exercise does help. Now, uh, it is difficult because, you know, it, a lot of times you don't have motivation to do anything. Um, so getting the motivation to exercise on a regular basis can be a challenge. But, uh, you know, we, we do know that that does help. We also know that um, light helps, sunlight. Uh, some people with depression go through um, uh, phototherapy. They have lights that are full spectrum. And that helps with the mood because it kind of mimics the uh, regular sunlight. And it, it helps a lot also with uh, people who, who are, whose depression is more environmental, where it tends to occur more like the, when the sun is down. So uh, so getting sun, getting regular exercises, uh, those, those things will help. You also want to think about, take some time to think about and list what your triggers are. So everyone has triggers. And anything can be a trigger, uh, whether it be, you know, a person uh, or, uh, you know, workplace. Sometimes just uh, a room in the house can be a trigger for you. Uh, if you spend a lot of time being depressed in a room in your house, let's say your bedroom, you start to associate the bedroom with the depression. So you may not be depressed, but the moment you step into the bedroom, there you are, because that's the association. It could be a, a, an association with a certain... Uh, a season. It could be spring, it could be winter, or it could be an association with an event like the anniversary of a death. Uh, those things can trigger. So you want to be mindful of those triggers and kind of um, plan to be away from them. Uh, for example, if if uh, if you find that you're depressed and, and you recognize that it's because of a certain place, uh, for example, a room in your house, you know, spend some time away, spend a couple of days somewhere else to kind of reset everything and, and get rid of that association. Uh, also, I mean, this is not for everybody, but uh, I've had a lot of patients forego counseling and medication because they wanted to try religion instead. They said that they, you know, they have a church and, you know, after a few weeks, they, they come back to me and say, yeah, I started going back to church, talking to the people over there. They're really helpful. I don't think, I don't, I don't think I need medicine. I don't think I need counseling. I think I'm good. So, uh, you know, seek that out too as an option. There are free or affordable counseling resources online. And I think what I'm going to do is if, if maybe uh, Kim could compile that list and send a link to everybody because she has a pretty good list of uh, resources online, including uh, one that's like our AI. It's like a robot. Oh, she told me Wobot, to yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, Wobot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, just just try it. Okay. I guess this um, concludes the talking part. So are you guys ready for some questions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Woo. Okay. Um, how to keep making art when an episode comes on. I, I could say for myself, I just push through because I'm a stubborn biatch, but um, it sometimes makes me feel worse after, or it can make me feel better. But how about you guys? I find that pushing through usually makes me feel worse. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like forcing myself to keep going, even though I have nothing left for me to keep going with. Like, I have no more energy. So at that point, I'm just, like, exhausting myself out even more. But I feel like just reminding myself of, like, the end goal usually helps that there is an end in sight. 
and it's finishing the, the project. <laughs> that, that's actually a good way to think. Well, okay, then Brent, this next question is for you. Um, somebody asked, would you recommend people in our profession to seek counseling regardless of their mental state? What I would recommend is that you, you do one of the readings first, like the PHQ or the GAD, just to kind of get an idea. Because, uh, you know, the resources uh, for mental health are already pretty thin. Because if, if all artists did it, then they would, the, the industry would just be overwhelmed. And we want to we want to reserve uh, those resources for people who really need it. Um, but if chances are, if you're already thinking that maybe you should, you probably should. Uh, so that's kind of what I what I'm getting from that from that question. But if, if you're feeling fine, then yeah, do do the self evaluation and just kind of go from there. And someone had a add on question. Um, they are on medication, but they're wondering if counseling or therapy is also needed for treatment. And how does therapy specifically help? So uh, based on the studies, uh, the combination of medicine and therapy work better than either one alone. So we do recommend both. Best way to go. Um, how does counseling help? Uh, it helps mainly to identify the problem, identify the triggers, and to hopefully change your perspective and also um, lead you into healthy coping mechanisms. So it's kind of like, because you can, you can overcome depression on your own. So the mind is a powerful thing. There's plenty of people who don't need any help. They just kind of work on it on their own. They're, they're very lucky. And uh, what the therapist will do is kind of help you help your own mind work through Right. So a lot of times it takes a third party to put things in place for you so that you can see. Because when you're when you're in the depression, when you're in the anxiety, you're in your little bubble. OK. And nothing else matters except what's inside your mind right now. And having a third party talking to a third party kind of helps break you out of that and start helps you start looking from the outside. in. All right. Thank you. Um, on to the next question. People often are not sure how to reach out and what to do when they see their friends are dealing with depression. Do you have some suggestions, big or small, on what you find helpful? I think it's just uh, reaching out. When you see that somebody's really sad, um, even though they might be reluctant, I would just say to reach out to them to, to say how, see how they're doing and not necessarily, hey, are you depressed? You know, Just like, hey, how are you doing? Something as simple as that, just checking in on them just talk, having them talk about it. And then you just kind of slowly segue into like, you know, how you're feeling, you know? And then like a lot of times how I manage to get people who are depressed to open up is to talk about my own uh, experience with it, which makes them, you, when you point out a fact that makes it sort of relatable, especially for a person who's maybe in denial that they have depression, for the most part, I think they've appreciated that. But this is just all anecdotal experiences. How about you, Kat? Yeah, I agree. I feel like while it is hard to like reach out to people who are depressed, I think just like letting them know that whenever they're ready, they, they can talk to me, you know, reminding them that I'll always be there for them. Just like a nice like reminder in general for to like know that if anything ever does go sour, if, if anything ever does come to a point where I really do need to talk to someone, like someone will always be there. To me, that's like the most helpful thing. I mean, the talk is very helpful. Them sitting me down and like talking to me is also very helpful. But the most comforting thing is knowing that I will always have someone to talk to. So like, I know a lot of people when they're depressed, they don't really want to talk about it at the moment, you know, especially for like introverts or people who are just really anxious. Like they really don't want to open up because they either feel like 
that the person is either going to break their trust, like I guess how other people have done in the past, or they're not going to take them seriously or whatever. Giving them the space to talk, I think, is what is most helpful. The next question is, um, Angela, you do so much personal work. How do you feel when you're painting? What's the motivation? Uh, so I briefly talked about this earlier, but I push myself really hard and sometimes I burn out and then I crash really hard. Um, I don't recommend doing that. Um, my motivation is having a farm in Spain with Kaylee and we're raising our piggies and painting on the ranch. So I guess it's kind of similar to how Catherine approaches it where I do have an end goal in mind. And I think once I hit it, hopefully I'll be happy and I'll never have to work and paint for money again. So that's my motivation. <laughs> okay, um, this is a really good question that um, someone someone wants to ask you guys. What steps do you guys act do you guys actively take to rediscover the fun and passion you have in art when you're think also thinking about it as your job? I know for like editorial, for example, it's just loads of loads of article about politics, and it could be like the most mundane thing ever. So I just always try to remember, you know, like my, my whole thing is that I create work for myself that I find fun. And it's like sometimes the assignments aren't fun and they're mundane and the art director is like horrible and won't like do anything. So I just always just try to find something to make it enjoyable. You know, whether it's like the colors or like the composition or just like trying a new technique, I'll just like try to find that small thing to just make it not so horrible, the experience overall, and just, you know, try to get myself through it. Yeah. <laughs> As for me, I find that doing a, a art type that you're not normally used to, just to change it up a little bit might help. Uh, not to promote this group so much, but going out and doing the, the plein air painting, something I never really thought about doing it, or thought that I had an interest in doing, really inspired me. And it's, it's something like I, I, I don't earn an income from, but it's, it's, it's a nice getaway any type of art, you know, as long as you're working those muscles and being creative, it's inspirational and it translates to the other aspects of your art that uh, your main type of art. The, the next one is um, for, for all three of you guys. In my family, there is a cultural stigma against depression and mental illness. Do you have any advice on dealing with things like this? Brent, since you treated a lot of um, Latinos, could you also share your experience about that? Yeah, uh, don't talk to your family members about your depression. It's just it's it's not helpful. Like if if because they're just serious. Gonna, okay. Yeah, yeah, I am very serious because they're just going to keep dismissing it and dismissing it and dismissing it, and you can spiral down. And it's it's very difficult sometimes when you you live with them and you just, there's no way for you to get out. It gets pretty tricky. But you need to you need to look at other other options, uh, whether it be friends. Uh, outside counseling, you got to look elsewhere. You know, you, you can you can love your family and not talk to them about your depression at the same time. That doesn't mean you don't love them. How I kind of dealt with it at the time, like my parents are divorced, so I only have a good relationship with my mom. I remember reading, finding this comic about a person illustrating into the simplest form in a formal comic how they recognize that they were depressed. And it's kind of silly, but I shared that with my mom. English is not her first language, but then like, it was simple enough for her to read and go through it. I was like, mom, I want you to, to, to read this comic. And she read through it and she was like, oh my God, I go through that sometimes. And so, you know, it just, it's kind of a crapshoot. Sometimes you have parents who are understanding who can process things. I had a mom who tells me to man up and just be a man because nobody wants to be with somebody who's sad all the time. I mean, she still thinks that from time to time, but then like 
having her kind of recognize and come to terms that she has a son that is going through depression, like it made her a little bit more empathetic in the short run, but it's helpful. And I told her, you know, mom, sometimes I need a break from like the constant pressure that you have and you telling me just don't be sad. It doesn't work for me. If anything, that makes it worse. On that end, I think that I provided some basic guidelines for her that was helpful for me in giving me my space and understanding what sort of not to say. That kind of worked out for me. Yeah, going off of what Brett said, I feel like if your parents aren't supportive and they're stubborn about it, then you gotta have you have to look elsewhere. They're not really something you can control. You know, it's like a total external thing. So if you can't control how they behave and how they act towards you, I guess you just have to control where you go look for comfort. I mean, I said my mom thought I had allergies, <laughs> so <laughs> she wasn't the source of comfort here. But yeah, you, got, you just have to look elsewhere. It's just like trying to convince a brick wall to like move for you. They're not going to do it. Yeah. It just sucks. And I'm really sorry. But I feel like just for your own personal benefit, sometimes you just need to like move past it. So Larry, you're really lucky. Cherish that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the next one is um, someone says, I've, been ha- I've had problems um, of gravitating towards negativity in the past and being uncomfortable with positivity or even being able to take a compliment been um, getting better at it in recent years but do you have any thoughts about how to get out of that mood mode I find that your thoughts and your emotions are like two separate things but they go hand in hand if you have negative thoughts all the time that will affect your emotions obviously so like what I try to do is actually force myself to tell myself positive things like you can do this you got this don't worry you know, like I, I might not believe it, but just hearing it kind of affects my mood differently. If I keep telling myself, this isn't going to work, this is a dead end, like I'm going to fail, that's obviously going to affect my mood as well. But hearing these words, even if I don't believe it, it also affects me in a way, subconsciously in a way that I feel like maybe there is a way for me to get over this. And in terms of like being uncomfortable with like compliments and stuff, I had this really horrible thing in college where I like when people compliment me, I would do this whole like little shebang show where I'm just like, no, 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 no. Now I just go, I just suck it up and take it like, thanks. You know, <laughs> it's sort of better for everybody. Just say thank you and move on. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Larry? I think I have a bad habit of, it means to this day, uh, accepting compliments from people because like, I think there's a certain aspect of yourself that, that questions yourself and it's the imposter syndrome, right? And also you're questioning them if they're disingenuous because you kind of get these feelings. Um, but just like Catherine, you know, when somebody compliments me these days, I'll be like, oh, oh thanks, you know, just simple as something as that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I used to have problems with that too. I, I think I was similar to, no, 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 that was so bad. Oh, and then I would make a, like this whole scene about it. But um, yeah, I'm trying really hard to like, say thank you and then not make it seem like I'm cocky or like arrogant about it. So, but it's hard, totally get it. I guess this is more for you, Brent. Recently I took the Meyer Briggs test again and I found out that I'm an INFP. I don't know what INFP is. So I they do. tend to, okay. <laughs> they tend to have mood swings. It confuses me if it's actually anxiety or if it's just the personality. It's uh, very difficult to distinguish. And uh, what, what you want to go by is how it affects your life because these feelings of uh, sadness and anxiety, these are all very natural. These are, these are normal. Uh, it becomes abnormal when it starts to affect your life in certain ways. 
So if it starts to affect your mood in a way where your relationships with other people are starting to degrade, uh, whether it be because of you know agitation or, or distancing yourself, that's a red flag. If uh, your productivity at work is taking a hit, that's a red flag. So mood swings, that's a natural part uh, of life. As long as it's not affecting your relationships with other people and your work, uh, just let it be. Do you guys have any advice to get over it and seek help, even if you're really shy about it? Talking about these things makes me really anxious, somebody asked. Yeah, being an introvert, like talking about anything makes me anxious. Sometimes you just have to suck it for your own benefit. Because if you don't, you're just going to spiral into something worse. Or you can have someone else force you to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Larry. (laughs) And and I would like just to say, coming as an extrovert, um, one thing I had to learn is to be more understanding of introverted people because they, they deal with depression sometimes in a very different way. Just be there to listen more and not force them to do things from your perspective. Oops, sorry, Larry. <laughs> okay, so the next question I'm is... Sorry, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> the cycle of being happy for a while and falling back to being satisficious. Um, this person actually found themselves being reluctant to be happy because of that, um, because they're afraid that it's going to be followed by the downfall. How do you guys overcome this? You will have bad emotions just as you will have happy emotions and it's not a matter of trying to get rid of the bad emotions rather just trying to accept them just allow it to happen and feel it and then just move on towards the direction that you want to go I guess that's how I find it helpful (laughs) I I talked to my um, therapist actually about this because I have that um that issue is really bad for me actually and she says that um it's probably because I had a really bad and traumatic childhood. So I constantly fear that if something good happens, something bad will immediately follow. So um, to the person who asked this question, maybe for you, um, you need to think about if you had any past experience that really traumatized you and try to like forgive yourself for that thought. Um, And then that period of your life, because I found that once I went back to talk to myself, and forgive myself, it really helped me overcome this emotion a lot better. Do you guys ever feel like your depression or anxiety will ever lift? I feel like it will never go. It's like what you said, Catherine, it'll just come and go. We'll just have to take it a day at a time and face those bad emotions as they come. Yeah, maybe once when I'm rich, I'll get a therapist. (laughs) But for now, I think it's just a permanent thing. (laughs) I don't think it's going to go anytime soon, but I just... Yeah, I find, like, as I said, just accepting it and then trying my best to live the life that I want to live, I find that the most helpful. Yeah. Another person asked, I think I'll be happy when I achieve this particular goal, but when after reaching, I just feel like that's all. That didn't make me feel happy for enough, happy for a while. So I guess happiness should really be internal. How do we try to attain that? That's a really deep question. That's a very personal question. It's different for everybody. And I, I felt the same way when uh, when I was in medical school. I said to myself, well, once I finish medical school, I'll be happy. Well, I wasn't. And then I went through residency and I said, once I finish residency and start working as a real doctor, I'll be happy. No, I wasn't. Um, so I started working my first job and realized I'm not happy here either and started earning all this money. And like, you know, it's just it, we can't we can't keep waiting for happiness to happen because uh, it, there are people who are happy in every stage of life, right? And, uh, you know, I, I go to the Philippines 
and have people see people there living in huts, uh, little kids wearing nothing but shorts, uh, they're barefoot on the ground playing with an empty can. They're happy. Uh, so why why am I not happy when I have all these possessions? So that's that's a, a a deep personal question to ask yourself, and I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like a lot of what we decide makes us happy, like getting having a job, having a car, having money. Do those things really make us happy? Is it money that makes us happy, or is it just being able to live comfortably? I feel like we often attribute happiness with the wrong things. We attribute with things that don't actually give us happiness. We need to like look inside, I guess, and like really try to pinpoint the real source of like happiness, I guess, from your own self. If the world, if like money didn't exist, if like judgment didn't exist, if society didn't exist, like what would make you happy? That's the question I asked myself when I was like in that ketamine therapy. I asked myself like without money, without jobs, without social media, like what is it that I want? And that is the thing that makes me happy. That's good. I think I'm very similar to um, what Brent and Kat said. So I think you guys just need to ask yourself, um, besides all this uh, stuff that's meant to distract us, is there anything that you really want to achieve for yourself? For me, I just want to become a painter on a barn and not have to worry about money. So just just think about it. And I think you guys could really figure it out. We're kind of out of time right now. But do you guys have anything you want to add to like encourage people or to talk about like last thoughts on your mental illness. I think I'm much better equipped to deal with it nowadays than I did before when I didn't recognize it. So uh, I think for everybody, anybody facing it, like I did, you know, just, um, you know, we don't have all the answers, but hopefully what we, the experience we shared was informative and uh, just try it out. And I feel like I can overcome, not necessarily overcome it, but you know, I can defeat it for now, for the time being and not, know what to do and not be ashamed of myself. Yeah, I think that it's super difficult and it really blinds you from seeing like your real goal. But just I hope that this doesn't sound too corny and too like preachy, but like there is a possibility for things to get better. And you are also in charge of taking yourself there. Like nobody's gonna swoop down and help you, you know, you gotta also help yourself. Yeah, that's all I gotta say about it. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to uh, say that I am working from home and have a lot of free time, so I'm available. So <laughs> any, any and I'm serious about this. Uh, any way I can help, uh, you know, just go through Discord. Uh, the The message will be passed along to me eventually through you guys or Kim, but uh, I'm here to help. Well, thank you guys so much. I, I think it was really even helpful for me and really motivational. And I'm I'm glad I'm not alone in my depression. Thank you guys for opening up to everyone and we, we really appreciate it. Thank cool. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any suggestions, please leave your comments on whichever platform you're listening with. And if you like this podcast and other events we organize, please consider donating to us on Gumroad. You'll find a link in the description. Thank you and hope to see you again soon.